you, you don't want to just replicate what people did in Excel in a new tool. Otherwise, a lot of those same pain points will just come back and bite you in the butt again. We zoom out, we look at fundamentally what's the person trying to accomplish, what are their goals. Like a lot of times people come to us because they've been doing a budget, just the company level, but now they have to do uh, departmental budgets to hold teams accountable. And you have to slice by this dimension, do five or 10 slices of P&L plus the different roll-ups, but you don't have five to 10 times the amount of hours in the day. That's where tech-enabled FBA tool helps you out on this. Hello and welcome to Tech for Finance, where we help finance professionals leverage technology to level up their lives. I'm your host, Adam Shilton, and today we're joined by Martin Zitch, CEO and co-founder of Durav, a trailblazer in financial modeling and analytics. Martin's journey in finance has been remarkable from his foundational experiences in accounting and financial management to leading roles in finance at several venture-backed companies. His knowledge in finance combined with a passion for technology led him to establish Durav, where he's now significantly impacting how small and mid-sized businesses approach financial planning. When he's not building Giraffe, he's a dad to two kids, a fan of Seattle sports teams, and also loves outdoor activities like hiking and snowboarding. But before we start, if you like what you hear today, make sure to subscribe to Tech for Finance on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. And don't forget to sign up to the free newsletter over at techforfinance.com. But it's great to have you on today, Martin. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate the time. No worries. So before we started, you said your founder story was quite interesting. So I can't not ask that question. So over to you. Yeah, Tell us so how it all I'm got going. I'm CEO, co-founder of yeah. Giraffe, a uh, company, you know, we're a financial modeling and planning tool, and it's a complete misspelling of the word Giraffe. You just kind of lift the V and then F together. <laughs> um, so it's G-I-R-A-V. And uh, before this, I used to do fractional CFO work, and I've helped tech started companies, conceptualize their ideas. I've worked with all these brilliant product people, engineers, salespeople to take their idea, put it into rows and columns and dollars and cents and figure out like how, you know, how big can this business get? How, um, how does it work? What are the levers on the business that we can do? Like got to do, you name it on the vertical, we probably did it at our firm. And, um, and by the time I raised venture capital for giraffe, that was the 17th time that I had raised in my career. So got to learn a lot. And, and from those learnings, a lot of that is kind of what's the uh, inspiration as we built up this platform and, and put all those best practices in a code. Very good. And you mentioned rounds of funding there. Um, you've obviously been through that process quite a lot. You know, any, any sort of tips for people that are going through that process at the moment, you know, anything to focus on, anything to shortcut what I'm sure is sometimes a bit of a yeah, stressful I mean, process. This market's a pretty tough one. We see, we see the news about venture funding going down and, and all of that. Um, you know, I think even when markets were good, you had to do a lot more meetings than you normally think you, you have to do. I think when we did. <laughs> when we did our seed round and we were just like an idea and a couple thousand bucks in revenue, I think I did like a hundred face-to-face meetings in two weeks and I would just drive from coffee shop to coffee shop people. So if you're in the middle of that process, just, you know, keep on grinding, have at it. And, um, you know, once you get one believer, the rest will start snowballing in. Um, and then, you know, um, 
And if, uh, if you're in a later stage company, it is doable. There's tons of founders making yeah. it happen. Um, if you're creating something valuable for, for your industry and your market, um, it's, it's still happening there. It's just a little bit tougher. Right now. Yeah, very good. Cool. So obviously focus of what you do is F FPNA. So that, that financial planning piece and there's a ton of information online, obviously, you know, modeling in Excel and all that sort of stuff. And I don't want it to turn into an Excel bashing session. That's, that's not what this is. This is about, right. But I guess from your perspective, and you can talk around maybe some of the things that you're doing different at, at Giraffe is, you know, when people think about FPNA is yeah. more than Excel, right? So how do people need to change that mindset? And say for people that haven't got a background in FPNA, they might want to get into FPNA. You know, what can they equip them with themselves? How can they think differently and not just think, right? Well, I'll just do some think, models in Excel. You know, and then Excel is a great tool, and um, and you can do a lot of stuff in there. But if you're working in FPNA, the end outcome that you want to achieve is being able to help your teams make smart decisions. And if you've done that successfully mm -hmm. and quickly you've succeeded as an FPNA person. Um, you can do that on a, you know, in a spreadsheet, you can do it in a purpose-built tool. You could draw it on a napkin. If you could do the math, great. You've done it even faster. It's even better. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so I think every tool has its purpose and there's different ways you can approach these, these things. Hmm. And you mentioned the fractional piece earlier. So. In the position of a fractional CFO that's juggling multiple clients, I'm, I'm guessing date data is an issue, right? You know, especially if you've got clients that send you data in Excel and, and that sort of stuff. You know, is is it possible to to continue doing stuff like that, or is that a point where something like Giraffe would come in to say, right, well, we can, because often with FPNA tools, it's done from a sort of business it's implemented in perspective, okay. if that makes sense. You know, same with bookkeepers, I guess, you know, there's not a lot of platforms that allow you to do that sort of multi-company management piece. Is that something that you've thought about giving yeah. your fractional CFO Yeah, the first part, experience? you know, you need to have your house in order. So having clean books is, mm -hmm. is really important. Um, you know, if you're using QuickBooks or Xero, NetSuite, Sage Intact, um, you've got to get the best, you know, have, have that clean because um, you can't build FPNA on top of a shaky foundation. So once that base is in there, mm -hmm. um, tools like Giraffe and others, we can bring in that data automatically and start, you know, building your model. Think of your accounting system as almost like the backbone of your model that you mm -hmm. will then start extrapolating out for your pro forma financial statements and any other kind of um, smaller models that might be feeding up into this main master model there. Mm -hmm. And I've been having some discussions around this recently. So obviously fractional CFO services, bookkeeping services, you know, the people that run those sorts of businesses are, are looking to scale and looking to provide more value. Right. And I guess maybe forgetting about systems for a second, I've been asked before, or I've had discussions before about, um, companies that are able to deliver on the operational stuff. So, you know, they can keep the books and, you know, they can make sure that, you know, the reporting's done and all that sort of stuff. Do you have any recommendations for the insight that businesses are looking for from either a fractional CFO or even the internal accounts, right? What's, what's that differentiator that maybe allows people to say, right, well, we've leveled up now. You're not just getting 
an operation or person you'll get in some people that can serve you insight that you wouldn't otherwise yep. have. What, what is your Yeah, I think the, the really there? big one is a lot of times when people first try to do FP&A, they'll just take their numbers out of their income statement and then they'll say, okay, we're going to grow 50% this year or we're going to grow 30%. And they just, you know, put their finger in there and they're like, that's what smells right. That, you know, but like you can't magically grow revenue 50%. What actually has to occur is a series of actions that will occur in your business. And really being able to unpack the drivers, what's underlying those assumptions is really key. And when you unpack those drivers, that's like, there's an activity to this. And now you can start laying out the thought process. If we do A and B, you know, and maybe there's a KPIC, which is some efficiency rate you know, then D will occur. And those kind of discussions and bringing them to light, making them really easy for, especially the non-finance people to understand with it, with this unpack there, that's kind of the first key step to making this easy and, and working with, you know, all the different teams. And when you empower your teams that way, so that they think about it as drivers for their different parts of the business, then you can just spin stuff up faster or slower based off of the resources you have, based off of people, maybe process improvements that you want to do in certain initiatives. That's where you start really um, creating value as an FP&A person. And, um, you know, and you can do this in, you know, if you're working in-house in FP&A at, at, a, at a regular company, or if you're a fractional CFO, you've got many clients that need to do this um, on that side. So you, you talked about drivers there. And as, as I say in, in the podcast quite often, you know, I, I don't have a, a financial background, you know, I'm not a qualified accountant or, or anything like that. Um, so pretend I'm an idiot, right? <laughs> um, when, we, when we talk about drivers, there are some that are sort of ge generally considered, I guess. So, you know, um, staff changes, you know, relating to, to headcount planning, you know, um, external factors, you know, um, currency rates, you know, um, conversions, all of that sort of stuff. What are the sort of hidden drivers? Is, is there anything sort of underneath that people might not immediately think is a driver that they can access in a tool or they can model for? Have you, have you got any that you see come up that are maybe drivers that people haven't really thought about before they started getting deep yeah, I think into FPA? A big one, you know, obviously the headcount related ones is, is fairly straightforward. A lot of times when you're doing um, your operational expense planning, like 80% of your costs is people related and a driver off of that, you know, your benefits is a function of uh, how many people you have, uh, your taxes as function of salaries. Um, you know, and then when you're doing things like COGS, COGS is all a, you know, a, a function of your customer unit economics that you have and, and your revenues. Um, I think there's a lot of hidden ones underneath the revenue modeling side that can be very interesting though. And this is where a lot of times people, um, need some help on like, how do, how do you plan revenue? Cause it's so hard on, you know, what is this sales goal we're going to have and how to unpack this? Um, you know, and I, I like to kind of unpack that by thinking, you know, like, like I mentioned, if you've got a goal to grow a certain amount and you don't understand all the drivers to get there. Think about here's mm. where I am at point A, here's where I am at point B. It's up here on the chart. Um, lay out on the, you know, draw it out on a wall or in a list, 
what are all the activities that would have to occur to accomplish this? And kind of daisy, you know, and if you have to daisy chain them together, um, for like, like an example, you might have a sales goal and that might be a function of, uh, how many salespeople you have, and then they have a quota, take a haircut off of that quota because there will actually be, um, there's just naturally turnover. And if you just say, Hey, I've got 10 salespeople and they sell a million dollars a year, that will be 10 million more in revenue. You're going to miss it nine times out of 10. Mm -hmm. But if you take that haircut off of that, now mm -hmm. you've got this driver for, for that. Um, but then what's going to happen is really quickly, I've seen this commonly for a lot of companies, they'll take that sales forecast and they actually, what they don't think about is the lead gen. Do we have enough leads to feed mm -hmm. all of these reps? And maybe mm -hmm. actually it's right to scale down a sales team or maybe you have enough where you can hire a few more. Um, and if you start unpacking that, now you've got, you know, um, a series of activities that your marketing team can start working against. And they know if I need to sell this amount of customers and this many units, you know, over the course of a year, I need to get this much web traffic going on and let's drive some activity on, on that. Um, those are the kind of strategic discussions that really help you start meeting these different plans. And, and, you know, when you unpack that, that extra layer underneath there. Hmm. It can be a, a nightmare though. So uh, I, I've got a background in sales. So the, the whole, um, marketing qualified lead to sales qualified lead to opportunity type conversion stuff is is part of my daily vernacular if if you like um but it's it's valid but I, again may, maybe you can shed some insight here right and i've seen some posts recently about it on linkedin in terms of the the interplay between finance and sales um not necessarily from a revenue planning perspective but from maybe a sort of a, a bonus and commission perspective you know, so so how can finance support sales in making sure that the comp plan and the bonuses are fit for purpose, that they keep people happy, obviously alongside budget and, and all of that sort of stuff. But ideally the whoever heads up sales needs to feed that information to finance in line with their experience of what they think likely conversion yep. rates are, right? Does finance need to push hard on that? You know, so you've said there, you know, if, if we want to produce a proper model, we need pretty good data from, from that perspective. But sometimes sales is a bit wishy-washy, right? You don't necessarily have that clear cut stage by stage. So how much ownership do we need? Do we think finance need to take and actually get into yeah, I think there's a numbers? big influence you can do because the way you then structure it on the finance side can actually drive behavior on those sales teams. Um, so if you're talking about comp plan yeah. stuff, um, even simple things like... Um, do you incentivize people, for example, to get annual prepays versus month to month contracts? Maybe the annual prepays have a big discount. So mm -hmm. some of the reps like having the month to month because they get, you know, their quota set for as a function of, you know, the, the annual recurring revenue or the total contract value. Um, but it might actually be better to mm -hmm. take a 20% haircut per customer if you could get it prepaid annually, at least for the business. That's something that the FPA team mm -hmm. can team up with the sales side, um, you know, and mm -hmm. be able to influence a lot of operations there. Cause you know, if you get a bunch of prepays, maybe then you can get more money into leads to then get the reps actually more deals and make it better for them. 
Um, that's, you know, mm-hmm. a, a simplified example of, of one that we see commonly day to day as people kind of think about, you know, how they can influence comp plans. Mm. And it's, and, and I'm guessing we're now at the point where we, we can, we can model multiple yeah. scenarios, right? You know, so, so, you know, this is if we did a load of prepay, that's then potentially how much cash we might have in the bank so that we can then, you know, push that into marketing, as you've just said, um, in the way that you described it there. How, how do we make sure that we don't get fatigued, you know, whether it's a dedicated tool or whether it's, it's Excel. So when we, ter- when we talk in terms of that, you know, forecasting rhythm, you know, obviously we need to get a balance. So, you know, we don't just want to create one forecast, hang our hang- hat on it, and then not touch it for however any months. But likewise, we don't want a hundred different scenarios modeled that are difficult to communicate to people and we can't necessarily, you know, get across. Do you have any recommendations for that that middle ground? Where Where is that? Yeah, I actually... Medium? see this all the time because a lot of people will come to us where they'll say, Hey, I've been, I built this Excel file and I've heard words like monster or zombie describing their Excel file because every, um, every mutant as well. There's some interesting ones, but I, it, you know, uh, and what happens is take people take that Excel file and then they be like, Hey, can I have another little analysis? Just this one little thing, they add another tab and they add another one and Frankenstein this thing together. And then it becomes unmanageable. And um, I, th- mm-hmm. I really tr- help or, or advocate for people thinking about precision versus accuracy. And you tr- if you try to be mm-hmm. too precise and you try to model every little line item at so detailed, a lot of times you could do 20% of the work and be within 1% of the same forecast um, by z- taking mm-hmm. a second back, zooming out, and being like, all right, what are we really trying to accomplish here? Do we do we really need to model every one of our hundred employees' bonus plans one by one, or can we just take the blended rate of what we did, apply that across all, and go? There's the goal. Now, in five minutes, I did something that might have been a two-day exercise somewhere else, and accomplish the same thing. That's the kind of stuff that can fatigue people if they start getting into the precision side. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you're in a similar level of accuracy like that, and you've removed that fatigue to be able to to keep things moving along, um, you start building this cadence in the business. And you know, every month you're closing the books and say a lot of companies will do that annual operating plan. People, you know, people will say they're successful if they do a quarterly reforecast as well. And um, so think you close the books out every quarter. Now you've got your annual plan, you've built up this rolling forecast. Many of our customers, because we made that actually so easy, where you just hit a little drop down and say, I have new, I have new actuals through X date, because it's all hooked up to all your different systems. Mm-hmm. Now they're doing monthly rolling forecasts mm-hmm. and they can, mm-hmm. you know, and when you start doing this and sharing that with your teams in an automated way, you set it up on rails. It's like this heartbeat that starts in business and you built this mm-hmm. muscle and now, um, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I get the dopamine hit of like, you know, um, going through and rolling forward my forecast and hitting publish and, and a CEO, I still do that in our app regularly. Um, you know, and that, that yeah. is nerd like that for FPA. Um, but then when it, you share that out with that team and, and you start having these strategic discussions around, all right, 
we've got new data. It's actually, you know, within this month's data, not a quarter old data. What can we go drive on the actions to go move the needle and like make this thing grow faster or to, to shift or, or whatever we want to accomplish? That's the fun stuff that then drives energy. Um, and, and, you know, and it all reduces fatigue and, you know, and that's, that's why we're here for it, that PNA side. Hmm. And going, so going, so I love the fact that you said a little dopamine hit there, which, which is great. I mean, it's, it's nice to have that interactivity, I guess, to be able to say that, to see the way things, things change, but you've made the switch now from working in finance to now being in that CEO co-founder position. So if you think about yourself when you worked in finance and now you position yourself as CEO, have you got any advice to finance pros in terms of the way that they feed information to CEOs now that you are a CEO that you wish you'd known when you were still in finance? Have I, have I worded that really bad? No, it's, it's all about <laughs> storytelling. So like, I, like I, I did a really good um, presentation at, at a couple conferences about financial storytelling and like, and then you can, if you just put this big wall of the numbers up on a slide or a spreadsheet, a lot of people, their eyes will cross and I'm like, oh crap, like what, what do I do here? How do I interpret this? But um, if you can then from that, highlight the punchline, like what are the, three things that matter in this big report that I can drive action and activity off of. Um, that helps the CEO so much because now they haven't gotten this, you know, they've got the big report, they have the detail if they want to unpack something a little bit more, but um, they care about the results and, mm -hmm. and how do we move this thing forward there? Um, and the better and better that you get at financial storytelling and, and those drivers, again, mm -hmm. once again, you know, underneath the numbers, um, the more successful everyone's going to be, it makes, makes, uh, your life easier as well as that, that receiver of the information's life easier. And is there, is there any data that is kind of more noise than value? So, you know, is there, is there information you're presented with on a frequent basis that you just don't care about that? You're like, no, we could, we can cut that out straight away. Um, I think it's, it depends on the business that you're in. Um, you know, on that side. And a lot of businesses are, are different, but I think, you know, the, the key things that really matter the most obviously are like the things that are your drivers of growth. Um, you know, are those dialed in correctly? And if not, you got to be watching mm -hmm. that, you know, um, very closely. Um, you know, other ones like headcount related, uh, items, that's key, you know, are staffing run rates the right way, but you know, did, did someone turn in two expense reports instead of one or, you know, all these little edge cases, ignore that stuff, but enough of now people can, can read that there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, yeah, as you say, it's, it's focusing on the, the more yeah. impactful stuff, I guess, you know, um, okay, fine. So taking a step back again, um, I think your words were, you know, when people come to us, you know, and use the example of, you know, uh, monster, zombie, you know, Frankenstein spreadsheet or whatever it happens to be. What's what's the guidance that you tend to give if they're not in a good place? Yeah, so I know you said earlier, obviously, you need to have that foundation, right? You need to have data in, in, in one place. 
But is there any recurring themes that you tend to hear about when people come to you that you either think, no, that's not a good fit for using at all, or you need to do this before you will get the best value out? At what all? we'll do is a lot of times we'll unpack like what what caused them to get to that point, and um, hmm. and then from that, you know, we we want to many times avoid. You don't want to just replicate what people did in Excel in a new tool, otherwise. A lot of those same pain points will just come back and bite you in the butt again. Um, so we, you know, we zoom out, we look at fundamentally what's the person trying to accomplish, what are their goals, where is their function need to go to as well? Are there new things that they haven't been able to report on? Like a lot of times, um, you know, people come to us because they've been doing a budget at just the company level, but now they have to do uh, departmental budgets to hold teams accountable. And you have to slice by this dimension, do five or 10 slices of P&L plus the different roll-ups, but you don't have five to 10 times the amount of hours in the day. That's where a tech-enabled FB&A tool helps you out on this. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll unpack those core outputs that they want to do and then help uh, guide them. And, and what we do is we've actually created this thing uh, at Giraffe called the Success Safari. So uh, just love animals and safari stuff. So, but, uh, and um, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we actually bring people along this kind of best practice success stairway where you're going through the success part and it's a path of like, here's the best practices. And we've done this <laughs> now, you know, our, our publicly stated number over 4,000 companies using the platform. Um, mm -hmm. we've, we've seen what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And we've got these best practices. And if you follow us on that journey, can make you pretty big successful in, uh, in your current day job, as well as just make you look like a rock star for your career there at your company. There we go. Who doesn't yes. want to look like a rock star, right? So, so coming back to, to joining the dots then, so obviously we can suck in HR data from an HR platform. We can suck in, you know, sales data from a CRM platform. Is, is there more advantage to connecting more systems in terms of a level of insight? Because some, some people might be thinking, right, well, you know, we, we want to, become more mature as as an fpna team but at the moment we might not have a crm system or we might have we might not have like a, a ton of data in the crm system for example you know or we might have an hr platform um but we're only using it for like payroll you know basic expenses at, at the moment are there still wins to be had even if you don't have all singing and dancing systems to connect to yeah in the i mean Putting in the rigor to uh, create a system of record for your forecast, that's already a win. That's the first one. Even if it's just accounting data and mm -hmm. you're like, I'm going to formulaically build up my budgets now and, you know, build this cadence of reviewing and, and checking it yet. So that's like, you know, um, kind of a crawl, walk around approach. Next one, you bring in that payroll data really quickly. It's, um, you know, because that is such a high proportion of where you spend and your cash goes. Um, a very fast win and, mm -hmm. and payroll data is actually great to bring into a model because usually it's very clean because if you're not running payroll right, you got bigger problems to solve there. So, um, yeah, so we find that to be, you know, a, a very, um, quick win that's very successful in helping you in that budgeting side. And now you're, you're talking about when do we hire, you know, we've got, uh, Jane and Joe on this team. When do we hire another one of them? And you have that discussion. Um, and as you get into like the third, the third leg of this, the customer data is really key. Once you start becoming a little bit more mature of the business. 
So the small ones, maybe you bring that in, mm -hmm. in a, in a simplified way. Um, and then, you know, as you mature, there's this whole kind of, um, growth curve that you can say, and you know, it's very hard to jump mm -hmm. from, you know, the very bottom all the way to the super top level. You need to just kind of progress and mm -hmm. we'll meet you where you're at in that trajectory. Uh, and then mm -hmm. eventually help you kind of mm -hmm. grow and move along that way. So coming and, and I appreciate we're, we're darting around, but there's there's stuff that kind of is fizzing in my mind as, as we go through the, through these things. So going back to drivers, what's come to back uh, come back to me is what you were talking about, you know, precision, accuracy, and and that sort of stuff. So in terms of mapping, as you've said, we we don't want to get to the point where we've a million drivers to manage because of course some of them are going to be much more useful than than others, right? But is there still value in trying to think about may, maybe as many drivers as we can and then and then rank them, for example, you know, and then speak to the team to say, look, you know, this could be a potential driver, you know, do we want to include it? Do we not want to include it? Is is that a logical approach or is that overcomplicating things? Do you just need to say, right, well, you know, we've got five or six key drivers. We don't need to go through a, a complex problem because those five or six drivers are going to account for the majority of the variance in our yeah, forecast. I, I go, I always try to push for simplicity first. Um, it's so tempting to just yeah. like go in at every single line item detail. Yeah. But a lot of times actually you have, yeah. if you've built your chart of accounts the right way, you've got like a hierarchy in there. And there's usually we found like most mm -hmm. companies have like seven or eight kind of top level groups of things, you know, staffing related, professional services and outside support, you know, T and E facilities, you know, mark discretionary marketing and, and so on. And um, you know, within that, um, you know, it's if you group it around those levels, you can start telling the story quickly. And then unpack the things that are material, like mm -hmm. really look at what's material. And if I, do I really need to take, you know, can I plan at this top level account or do I need to unpack all 10 underneath there? And am I still going to get there and, you know, and like take a breath as you're going in and up before you dive in. Cause it feels, it, you know, um, some people get the dopamine hit as well, doing every single little line item, but it's, yeah. it, it can be a lot easier just doing yeah. it at that simpler level first to start. Yeah. And, and I was going to say, you know, cause, cause some people like can get really into the modeling. Right. And as you say, you know, it's, it's almost powerful, isn't it? Where you can go in and say, look, you know, ah, oh, you know, I'm almost predicting the future. You know, if we add in this variable, you know, we can do this and look at how this changes and all of that sort of stuff. And look how amazing I am with all of my Excel skills and all of the, the drivers. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to take the mickey or, or, you know, uh, offend anyone here, but it is a trap that you can sometimes get caught into, isn't it? You know, and, and immediately you've lost two days because you've had a bit of fun, you know, playing with these different scenarios. So there's, there's no point to that statement apart from, as you say, maybe just allot yourself a, a, a mm -hmm. time span <laughs> for, for, for getting the fundamentals sorted and then try and cut yourself off uh, when you feel like you're Yeah, exactly. Into like I, I, I remember I've had several people even uh, say like, you know, you know, they, they feel like, uh, like an artist that's built up this massive Excel and they're like, look at this thing. It's beautiful. Isn't it great? And, um, and then no one else in the company understands how it works. And if that's happening, you're not being successful. You need to build something that other, you know, 
if you were to hand this off to someone else, could they actually understand what's going on? And if you've done that, like that's a successful model. Um, so you got to like, you know, I don't know if the, yeah. you know, dumb it down is not the right term, but like simplify things and, and get a common denominator that will work both for the finance person trying to get the end output that they need, but that also works for the operational person. The person sitting, you know, think about the person sitting across the table from you and each of those departmental heads is that, you know, operations manager going to you know, understand this when you ship that to them or that VP of sales, will they be able to, you know, whip around a few um, assumptions and, and put in their sales forecast? Like that's, that's success on that side. Um, and, you know, in the more complex model can feel like you have job security because no one else can, you know, uh, take that away from you. But at the same time, it's like, it's a double-edged sword because you're just going to build yourself into this trap mm -hmm. then. Fine.